The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory be to you, Lord. Pharisees came up and in order to test Jesus, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to put her away. But Jesus said to them, For your hardness of heart he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. The Gospel of the Lord. Before, especially when we look at Scripture, before we move into any of the spiritual senses, any of the moral meanings or what the Lord is trying to show us in the spiritual life, it's always important that we go into the literal sense of the text so that we look at its context and we try to understand uh, as much as we can from the text in terms of what is going on, what is happening in the literal sense. And so if you look at Mark's gospel, uh, the gospel we have for today, it comes from chapter 10, verse 2 through to 16. But verse 1 is very important for understanding what is happening here because it describes the region that they are in, right? The disciples have moved into a particular region in Judea, and, what is, and because of that region, uh, what the Pharisees are now asking Christ takes on a particular meaning. And so what has happened is, is that after the death of John the Baptist, after Herod killed John the Baptist, this has obviously caused great sadness for all of the disciples of Jesus, but we can see now that it might have been uh, or put into the minds of the Pharisees another idea, which is that if, if Herod had killed John the Baptist in a particular way, then maybe he also might do for them what they don't want to do themselves, which is maybe he will arrest Jesus and kill Jesus as well. And so they've moved now, the disciples and Christ, have moved into the region again of Herod the Tetrarch, right? So they've come back into his region, 
And so it's in this region under where he has rule and governance that the Pharisees come with the question of divorce. This has been the question that was eventually then the cause of the death of John the Baptist. And their hope now seems to be that maybe they can catch him in the same thing. They will also try to catch the Lord with the Herodians when they ask him about the paying of the tribute tax. And so they are very cunning and uh, manipulative in what they're trying to do to catch Christ out. But that is one of the reasons that they are coming with this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, setting a trap for him with the civil authorities, with Herod the Tetrarch? But also, this had become a question amongst the Jews of that time that was a cause of much division. And so it goes back to the book of Deuteronomy where Moses gives uh, this prescription where he says that uh, a man may divorce his wife if he comes to see any stain in her. And so what had happened was you had two schools of thought that developed and two schools that were current at the time of Jesus Christ under different uh, leaders. One was under Hillel, the other one was under Shammai, and they had differing opinions as to what stain meant. One was a very liberal school, thinking, well, it could mean anything that was under Hillel. And so even the slightest transgression could be reason for divorce. And so you have, if you read back through some of the texts, you can see things like, if the wife goes out without her head covered, that's sufficient reason for her husband to divorce her. If she spoke with a younger man, it's sufficient reason for her husband to divorce her. And so this is current at the time of Jesus Christ, and this was the more popular school, the school of Hillel. And so it was more widespread. And so divorce was a problem at that time because of this very liberal interpretation of Scripture. And in the other school you had under Shammai was a very severe on the opposite end of that spectrum. And so you had these two schools of thought. And so what they want to come and do with Christ is get him to maybe side with one of the schools. So who will he uh, side with? Will he side with Hillel or will he side with Shammai? And so the Lord avoids the trap as he always does in his wisdom. And he shows that he is not the one who will be trapped, but they themselves are the the ones who are actually in a trap. They are in a false, this false dichotomy that they have created under their own interpretation of what the scriptures should mean. And so they take what Moses commanded as a positive precept, as if Moses had just been thinking one day, do you know what we need? Uh, Let's have uh, permission for divorce and then just send it out to the people and let's give everyone permission to divorce. The reason for this precept was to try and withhold a certain abuse that was happening amongst the time when Moses was writing it to try and put an end to divorces that were happening too freely. And so what Moses did is he said, you must actually write up a certificate of divorce if you want. And what that meant that is that if someone wanted a divorce, they couldn't just do it themselves because to write a certificate, you needed to go to one of the scribes. And the scribes were supposed to be those who were wise in the law, wise in the interpretation of the scriptures. And so what it was supposed to do was one, so that decisions weren't made in the heat of anger or any kind of other passions, right? So that there was a time to kind of reflect and to come back down maybe to earth to make proper decisions. And so if by having to go to a scribe to have a certificate written up, first the cause could be discussed as to whether or not it was legitimate or not, and also that through that process 
maybe there would be a restricting of what had become a very serious problem amongst the Israelites. And this problem had now just kind of returned to God's people, where it was now a very common and prominent thing, even amongst the Pharisees and the scribes and all of these, uh, all of the Jewish people, uh, it had become too common. And so what the Lord does now when he responds to them is he avoids the trap that they're trying to set with Herod. He avoids the trap that they're trying to set with getting him to pick either side. And he goes back to what they should have gone back to, which is the intentions of God. What does God intend by marriage? This is not something that is just to be used by you for your own pleasure and for your own gain. Marriage is something that God wills. And what God unites, as we goes, when he goes back to the beginning, when the Lord takes them back to Genesis, what God unites, no one should pull asunder. No one should separate. This is God's original intention. And now that you have Christ coming, Christ who brings grace and strength, grace to accomplish what God wills, the Lord recalls the early intentions of God with regards to marriage. The Lord is calling them higher while they are always seeking to go lower, right? To please themselves, to do what they want. Now the Lord is saying, seek first what God wants and what his intention is for the beauty of what he has created in marriage, something that he created from the beginning, this making them male and female, this uniting them so that they are not pulled asunder, but that they are fruitful. And so we can see then in the first two readings for today, there is a reference then, first reading from Genesis, back to this original intention of God in the beauty of his creation and what he willed for his creation with regards to men and women. Then we have the second reading from the letter to the Hebrews, which is also then tying this to Christ himself. And so marriage is not only something that is earthly, but it is also a sign of the relationship that Christ has with his church. And so marriage is called to a higher, uh, a higher state because it is a sign of Christ's relationship to his church. And so marriages should be lived out as those types of signs, this faithful love that God has for his people. Because what we have in Christ when he comes is this manifestation of the love of God that he has for an unfaithful spouse. Right throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are referred to as, un, as, as an unfaithful spouse, always running after other gods, always leaving God, walking away from him, forgetting about him, not praying to him. And yet the Lord is this faithful spouse who seeks after his people always and faithfully. He will even then, as it says in the letter to the Hebrews that we read today, it is through his death that he then also takes this bride to himself and that this union becomes, as we see, fruitful. He brings many souls to glory. And so it is the what marriage should be in its individual instances is what Christ is in his relationship to the church. He takes to himself a spouse, that he desires to be faithful to him as he is to her. And then that through that union of Christ with his church, that many souls will be brought to glory. And so what the Lord is doing here in the gospel is you can see that there is initially this dealing with the matter of marriage and divorce, and then immediately it turns to children, right? Fruitfulness. And so this is what the Lord is doing, is showing again his own relationship with his church, but also his own relationship with the individual souls within his church. 
We are called to remember this, that the Lord is always faithful. As it says in another part of St. Paul's writings, even if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And so the Lord is always chasing the individual souls as well and calling them back to a union with him, that we will become each individually and as a church faithful to him. And what does that mean, just to close this out? What does it mean to be faithful to Christ? Well, it has to be something that is all permeating. We've seen that it cannot be something that is um, coming from hypocrisy. It can't just be an exterior life that does not match an interior life. So faithfulness to Christ has to be both exterior, in our actions, in the way we live. Our life must reflect the one to whom we are espoused but also our interior must reflect the one to whom we are espoused. And so even in our mind, our mind must be given over to Jesus Christ, and our heart, our heart must be given over to Jesus Christ, so that our faithfulness to Christ is not simply exterior, is not something that we take upon ourselves as a burden, but is our fulfillment. It's what we are called to as the bride of Christ, his church, but as also the individual members of that church, we are called to this faithfulness so that we are wholly given over to Jesus Christ so that our life can become fruitful and that through our union with Christ individually and through the union with the church with Christ that we can be fruitful and bring many souls under his inspiration and with his grace and because of that loving union, we can bring other and many souls to glory. Amen. Thank you.